Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and a salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are that man. These lines from the prophet Nathan that are said to David after he presents to him a parable about a rich man and a poor man, the rich man who has flocks upon flocks, and the poor man who has nothing but one precious lamb. And the Lord takes ultimately from, or ultimately the rich man takes from the poor man, his only lamb, in order to provide for a guest that has come to him. And whenever Nathan presents this to him, he asks David, what is your judgment upon this rich man? And he replies, that man must surely die and pay back fourfold the lamb that he has stolen. And of course, Nathan responds, you are that man because you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite for your own. I share this story because I think so often, whenever I read gospels like this or even from our first reading, the harshness spoken to priests or just about individuals, there is a tendency within my human mind to immediately assign it to someone else. Oh, I know a priest that's like that. Or, hell yeah, I have a neighbor that really this speaks. And so on and so forth. But I think it misses the entire point. Because if we were to be objective about it, then of course we began assigning out that judgment. As David signs judgment to the rich man who stole the poor man's single lamb, that then there's this tendency for us to do the same, to ultimately bestow judgment upon others, but then to make ourselves exempt. I see this tendency within myself so often, to want to exteriorize all problems. It's because I hit every single stoplight that I was late, even though it was really because I was dilly-dallowing around. Didn't allot proper time in order to make it. So often there's this tendency in our minds to blame others, to assign judgment on others, but then never to take a look within ourselves, to never adequately, truly take heart, take to heart, the words of the Gospels. Because as I look at this Gospel, there are certainly examples from this that I can see within my own life. 
the ways in which I can perhaps be harsh to others, but then ultimately treat myself with a great deal of mercy. The way in which sometimes I can rather revel in my office instead of truly identifying with who I'm called to be, which is first and foremost a son of the beloved God, but then secondly, a priest of Jesus Christ, following his example of carrying his cross. And I think as I take a look at those things within myself, then the words of St. Maria come to my mind. Whenever you look, and he tells he's talking to someone, whenever you see your defects, how do you have any time to look at others? Whenever we see our defects, how do we have time to judge others for theirs? You see, in each of our own lives, we need to recognize those areas of our hearts, of our lives, to where we're operating from pride, where we're operating from comfort, where we're operating from perhaps some other wound. Because in today's gospel, Jesus tells us and tells his disciples, listen and do what the scribes and Pharisees tell you to do. Do as they say, not as they do, right? That's basically what he tells them. What he's trying to remind us of here is that the church is obviously full, and I think this is how it applies to our modern day. Obviously, he's telling them about the scribes and the Pharisees. But he's telling them also, and it applies directly to us in our present situation in the church. Yes, the church is full of sinful members, full of sinful bishops, bishops, sinful priests, of which I am one, sinful laity. But we're all in the same boat together, the bark of Peter, the church. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the church is made up of sinful members, but that does not discredit the church. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, to use a common cliche. Just because the church is in a rough spot, just because we see sinfulness, confusion, ambivalence, doesn't mean that Christ isn't calling us to be saints, isn't calling you to overcome your sin just because somebody else is failing to do so. Each of us can perhaps call to mind to where we know that sin is. I know so often wherever I take a step at second to just step back. Whenever I'm fretting about what's going on in the world, what's going on around me, what's been said about me, or whatever it may be at the given time. Whenever I take a step back, take a deep breath and try to be honest with myself. There's two very distinct realities that come to mind. First, I am his beloved son, 
and nobody will ever take that from me. I can only strip that for myself by my own choice of sin. God's love never abandons me. The way in which I am beloved will never be taken from me. To use another example that I so love and I think is so important for us to remember, or a priest at one of my retreats once telling us, looking at each of us in the eyes, he said it. There is something in each, and now I say it to each and every one of you, there's something in each and every one of you, something in each and every one of you, individually, that delights him as no one else can. There is something about you as an individual that makes God smile in a way that no one else that has ever lived, is alive currently, or ever will live, has made God happy or smile. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind whenever I take a step back from all of it. I am loved. You are loved. But then there's also a second thing that comes to mind. And it's usually the reality that's pressing itself upon me. What is it I'm not addressing in my own life? Sometimes it's a failure to do something as simple as pick up the phone and call my mom, who I know I should have probably called a couple of days ago practice the fourth commandment, to remember the fourth. Maybe it's making a phone call to have a difficult conversation that I've been putting off. And sometimes it's a sin that I know I need to do something about. I need to ask for help from a brother priest. I need to take some time to pray, sit down, figure out what my game plan is to overcome it. But ultimately, there's two realities that coincide. We are beloved sons and daughters, of course. We are redeemed by our baptism. We are precious to him. And as such, we need to strive each and every day to take a step in the right direction. Sainthood is not an all-at-once turnaround. It's not some sort of divine U-turn. It's not a moment in our life whenever it all just clicks and boom, now I'm a saint. It's the same way that anyone else who has ever become a master of their craft has done it. Step by step. Taking one step in the right direction to do the right thing today. to either do that thing that we don't want to do, to either address the sin that we don't want to address, whatever it may be, but we take a step each day. 1% better, half percent better, 0.0001% better each day. But ultimately make a move in the direction of the Lord recognizing the dignity that we have within ourselves is not an excuse to stay where we are, but instead a motivation to become ever closer to what we truly are.
to become more fully the son, the daughter that we are called to be, to fulfill the mission that has been given uniquely to each and every one of us in our state and life. See, as Jesus tells us this, he's reminding us not to grow cynical. The church is broken, true enough. We have broken leaders, true enough. My family's broken. Every system in the world's broken. True, true, true. But Christ is still King. He is still Lord. The truth that abides within His church will never change. It will never be blotted out. It will never be obscured, except by our sinfulness. Only Christ will satisfy. Only the truth of who we truly are at the core of our being as beloved sons and daughters will truly move us in the direction of joy. Not by a focus on what's wrong in the world, not by a focus on the way in which we're being wronged, robbed, or taken from, but instead by what we are being given, the blessings that our Father still bestows upon us day after day, despite the fact that we are sinners. And ultimately, that sinfulness can be overcome by the grace of God. Not all at once, not in some magic silver bullet, but instead, day by day, sacrificing, struggling, resisting those worst parts of ourself that tell us the lie, the lie that there is no hope. But the truth is, even in the darkness, even in the midst of a broken world, God always wins. God wins whenever we trust Him, whenever we turn over our sinfulness to Him, Allow him to forgive us, to receive the grace necessary to overcome that sin, and ultimately to trust in the reality that each and every one of us are beloved sons and daughters of the Father.